What's up? And welcome to another episode of Ask PG Braun. And I have a special guest today. We'll see if I give a proper introduction. There's, there's a lot to this gentleman. So if we go through the list, we got gym owner. Yep. Bodybuilder. Yes. Veteran, but uh, also a disabled veteran. Yes. Uh, firefighter. Yes. Uh, what else? Uh, um, there's man. a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to it. I don't want to. I don't want to shortchange you on anything. Uh, but this is Tom Sturgeon, who I met in a pretty uh, unique way, actually. Um, well, not unique because we met at the Arnold, right? Which is, I guess, not unique. But um, we met because you had a beautiful dog with you, and I didn't even know that dogs were allowed in the Arnold, but then I realized that he was a service dog. Correct. And um, you could probably tell the story better better, better than me because it was a crazy day, but um, do you remember that day well? Yes. Uh, yeah, we were, we were walking around and uh, everybody was telling me, hey, you need to go see PJ over at Blackstone. And there was a line everywhere. You couldn't get close to you. And we walked up there and Sammy said, hold on a minute and went and got you. And you come out and you sat down and took the time to be with me and Bing and and kind of listen to what our story was about. And I, I uh, everybody knows that um, I love animals. So you could have been a, a, a dick and I still would have <laughs> wanted to talk to Bing. But, you know, fortunately, you guys were all nice guys and we had a good conversation. And then, you know, I, I uh, you meet so many people at the Arnold that you right. assume, well, maybe I'll see this person next year. Right. And uh, that was that. And then I'm trying to think of when we spoke again, because it was a little while right. in between that. Um, and he, you had you already had your gym open? Yes, yes. Um, so your gym is in uh, Indiana, in Evansville, correct? Correct. correct. And um, so your gym is um, pretty awesome in the way that um, it's it's uh, very very supportive of military, disabled military. I've seen you training um, yes. uh, disabled military. Yes. Um, you got the service dog hanging out in there, which is awesome. Right. The vibe in the gym is really really cool, and. Um, got into bodybuilding and your story is pretty unique because you're the first person I've ever seen get on stage with a dog before. That is true. But before we tell that, I want to get into the whole history so people can understand. So I figured we'd, we'd talk a little bit about your life and how you got okay. to this point with Bing. So how old were you when you decided to, you went into the Navy to start, right? I just turned uh, 18 years old. And was anybody else in, in your family in the Navy or it was just... Yeah. My uncle was a major uh, inspiration in my life. He did two terms in Vietnam and wow. was wounded over there and still stayed there. Wow, that's amazing. Yes. Um, so you were 18 and you enlisted in the Navy. Yes. Were you nervous about it when you were leaving? Oh, very much. Yeah, because I mean, I was from a small town in Indiana. I'd never been anywhere else and got on an airplane for the first time, headed to the Great Lakes, and my life started all over right there. Where did you go? When you were in the Navy? I did uh, two world tours. Wow, two world tours. Yes. So you were all over the place. Everywhere. Yep. Is there a place that you never want to go back to ever again? Yep. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Was that, of all the places that you went, the worst? Yeah. What was the best? I'd say Australia. I like Australia. Yeah. How long do you stay in these places for? It would depend on what how long we pulled into ports and stuff. Usually the longest we'd ever stay would be six, seven days. So when you were in these various different spots, was there any kind of, 
I guess, hostels or like dangerous things that you had to deal with? Or you, know. you uh, most ports that say Philippines, Thailand, places like that, you had to watch your back. Really, you uh, you were there for one reason. They wanted your money or your ID, and they would. You had to watch your back at all times. Were were people uh, getting into trouble in any of these places? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you'd see sailors getting in trouble, but you know that they're young. First part, never been anywhere else in their life. They didn't know what to expect. And what happens if, um, like, say somebody pulls up to port somewhere, and uh, you know, I know there's always like bars and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Let's say somebody that's in the navy gets into a fight, with somebody and knocks somebody out in the bar, gets arrested. What happens? Do they get? Oh, they go to captain's mass, and then they're going to be put in the brig on the ship. For how long? Depending on how long that captain decides. It could be anywhere from 10 days to 30 days. Uh, they will, Most of the time, they'll make it where you can't get off the ship again on another port. And if we pull back into home port, you still be on the ship. They will they cancel all your leave. Oh, wow. So it's basically like jail on the outside then. Right. Except you're on a, on a ship. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so you did uh, two world tours. Mm-hmm. And went, so how old were you when you were done? I had just got out of the military when I turned right at 21. Oh, wow. So you did all that in, a, yeah. in a three yeah. years. That's amazing. Yeah. So you were, you were on the road a lot then. Right. Or on the sea, I should, I should right. say. So in those three years, do you feel like if you didn't go in the Navy that your life would have went in a much different direction? I mean, most people are very proud of their time served. If I wouldn't have been in, went to the Navy... I just would have worked a dead-end job at a factory somewhere, and that'd be all I did. Wow. So when you got out at 21, Mm -hmm. did you have any idea what you wanted to do? Yeah. uh, I wanted to own my own business. That was my main thing. So I went to school and got learned how to do landscape design. Cool. And then when did you start doing that? Right afterwards. Oh, so you you got out of the Navy and you started and you had your own business? Yes. I've, I've never worked for anybody. So how did you get from that to being a firefighter? I uh, was in, Miss, while I was in Mississippi, I uh, became a junior fireman. Okay. And uh, the story on that is I uh, was very proud to be a fireman mm-hmm. and I was very excited about it. And so then I woke up in a ditch one day and I was having seizures. How? And uh, it just happened. Yeah. And I would just hit me out of the blue. Didn't know what was going on. And a good friend of mine that was a highway patrolman that I knew because I was a fireman was standing over me. And we they took me to the hospital. And then we found out that I had a brain tumor. Was it did they think that something possibly caused it was just some sort of freak episode? They uh, to this day, they can't they. I know when I get in, my anxiety kicks up yep. or I get something like that, it'll cause me to have a seizure or if I'm real tired, um, I get a lot of bad migraines mm-hmm. because of it. So they just link all that together. Do you have to take any medicines for it? Yes, I take uh, a lot of, I take uh, my seizure medicines. I take my medicines for my uh, tumor and then I take uh, medicines for my anxiety. Wow. So... How old did you say you were when you went, ended up in the ditch? I was probably about 23. So you're 23, you're young, you got the whole mm-hmm. world by the, the balls, as they yeah. say. And 
were you were you on uh, on on duty when you ended up in the ditch? No. So you're just driving your car yeah. and end up in yeah. the ditch. You don't you don't like recall. Mm -mm. You just had a seizure yeah. and crashed. Yeah. Did you have other injuries from the crash? No. So you got lucky in that sense. Right. Unlucky with the seizure, but right. at, least, at least you didn't fly through the window or anything. Right. So how long were you in the hospital for after that? Uh, I spent about seven days in the hospital, and then after that, it was just off and on. So your mind's got to be pretty blown when they tell you you got a tumor in your brain. Yeah, and when you can't figure out why you're having seizures, I mean, I uh, I battled a lot of depression because of it. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say a lot of seizures, for people at home that have no idea how how often these things can happen, are we talking like once a month? No, I've had up to 20 to 30 in a month. That's insane. Yeah, man, I, 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 I already know some of this, of course, but I, 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 I can't imagine like having the fear of that at all times, because I know, you know, with my anxiety, I, I, I the, the, the panic attacks I get are when I feel like I'm going to die right in this moment. Mm -hmm. So, so for me, I know that if I knew I could have a seizure at any moment, that would just trigger my anxiety nonstop. So I, I, you know, I, I, I don't see how you could not have anxiety with that lingering at all times and the medicine that you take how good does it control it uh it, i went from when we first started i i could i had a helmet on mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people don't realize i have a plate because i had a seizure one day and hit the corner of a table and busted every tooth off oh i didn't i didn't know that and uh, so they had to take them all out and because of the seizure and but I've got to a point now that with my medicine and everything, I I average probably anywhere between eight to ten a month. Wow! Even with all the medicine, right? So if you were not taking the medicine, oh, it's a bad situation. Yeah, you you. Yeah. Now, did they say that they could operate on the tumor? They they keep an eye on it, mm -hmm. and uh, they do uh, MRIs on me and keep an eye and watch and see how it's growing because where it's at it is a very difficult location to get out. So they keep an eye on and see if it's growing. And if it is growing, then they'll have to go in after it. Has it been growing? No. Oh, th thankfully. I mean, that's freaking scary. Yeah. So you, you're 23, you're in the hospital, you, you find out that you have a tumor, you got to get all this under control. Mm -hmm. And then where do you go from there? I uh, went from having everything. I had a show truck, I had everything. And then I ended up to where I had nothing. We're talking food bank. And so I picked myself up from there. And at the same time, they told me I couldn't be a fireman. Why? Because of my seizures and oh, stuff. Wow. And if you come to my gym right now, you will see I have a congressional award from Congress for being a fire chief in Mississippi because they said I couldn't do it. We went and fought it. They said, okay, you can be a fireman. Not only did I become a fire, keep being a fireman, I became the fire chief. So that's amazing but i need to know more about how that that happened you didn't just become fire chief overnight no no so, so how does how is the progress for that happening they said they tell you you can't be a fireman at all mm -hmm. and you become the fire chief i, I want to know the details on that i uh when they i kept on working and kept on working and like uh when it took time for a call i was the first one there i literally lived about a half mile from the fire station and when a call would come out i would run to the fire station even when you're off yes oh that's awesome and i would be there for every call i uh i did all my paramedic stuff i did all my search and rescue stuff i was i wanted to prove that i could do it and i became a training officer 
then I became, uh, they asked me to be assistant chief. And I was the assistant chief. And then after that, I became the chief. And how long did that take? It took me about six years. Amazing. When you were working as a fireman, did the job change a lot from when you started to becoming the chief? Yes. So when you're the chief, what what goes into that? When you're the chief, uh, I just my wife will tell you, uh, she hated to go to a call when there was a fire because she knew that white helmet, which was the chief. Yep. When you were in there, you're responsible for all your guys' lives. And for me, I had a bad habit when we'd go to a call. I would turn the scene over to my assistant chief and I would go in because I wanted to be there, be responsible for my guys if something happened. I wanted to be the guy in there because if I couldn't do it, if I, I didn't expect myself to do it, then why? how could I put their lives on the line? Yeah, I understand that. Salsy, <laughs> but honorable. So when you were fighting fires and stuff, did you ever see like anything tra- tragic happen? Yeah, I've seen a lot. Yeah. Any, uh, anything where like people die or anything like that? Yes. A really? Lot. I've, uh, I've seen children and I've seen needless deaths. Yeah. But uh, can you just like, you don't have to go into detail, but yeah. what do you mean by that? I, uh, one of the ones that stick in my head most is, uh, we got called out for a young child walking down the road mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve and we got to her. And she was covered in blood. And we couldn't figure out where where she come from. And we drove down a little bit farther and we saw skid marks. And we looked into the woods and saw headlights. And what had happened was they had hit a deer. And the deer went through the windshield and killed the parents. And oh the little my girl God. and the little girl crawled out the window and was walking down the highway. Holy shit. That is yeah. terrible. How old was the little girl? Probably I think she was about five. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Um, man, sorry, that just blew, blew my mind a little bit. Um, I didn't expect. I thought you were gonna say like drunk driver or something like that. That's that's uh that's gotta mess you up. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of sleepless nights because of being a fireman. So you saw multiple people then, yes, die. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. did you did you ever have a scenario where people were trapped in in a, in a fire and couldn't get out? Yes. And then what happens? That's it. They just yeah. I uh, I actually had a car fire that I couldn't put out, and a mother and her daughter were in it. Oh my god! So stuff like that sticks with you, and that's one of the reasons I'm so big on military and first responders because I don't think people understand what they see and they can't forget. It's there for life. I I mean, you know, we we here at Blackstone, my dad especially also and myself like we we actually anyway know you know my grandpa and my uncle were in the military and, and uh i have a cousin who's a state trooper so we, we actually know from from family you know mm-hmm. actually i've never heard anything as tragic as what you just told me but um but you know we, we know a lot about you know during during 9 11 being up there we had a lot of people that were involved right. and stuff that you know I had uh, one of my buddies saying that he was there and, you know, guys were just literally jumping out of the windows in, in front of him and that stuff like traumatized him real bad. Right. And um, I don't think that, I think that every, I think for the most part in, in America, there's a very large amount of people that support um, the troops. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people that really respect firemen. Right. 
And I think there's a lot of people that don't like the police. Right. And the people that do, I think, really respect you guys. But I don't think that a lot of people realize the the stuff that firemen do. Because I think a lot, I, I, I've had this conversation with people where they're like, I mean, how often are there fires for them to put out? I'm like, man, they're doing a lot. Well, there's a lot besides fires that they're doing. You know, they're, they're, there's crazy situations that, you know, you see the fire truck showing up for. And, mm-hmm. and these guys are going in there blind to knowing what they're, they're going into a lot right. of the time. So you're, you're going to, just by law of numbers, you're going to see some bad shit. Well, you got to realize most of the time you see an ambulance called out, mm-hmm. there's a fire truck. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't realize this is when you see that helicopter landing at a scene, that means something's bad. Or when you see them firemen up there and they're having to cut cars open. Yeah. You know, I, I used to aggravate me so bad as you'd see the rubberneckers. They, oh, they want to turn and yep. they want to look and everything. I would, I was the first one to initiate in our area a shield, what we called the shield was. If it was a serious wreck, the shield was put up. And that was a big tarp because people want to sit and yep. see. But the thing people don't understand, PJ, is, that could be your sister. That mm-hmm. could be your mom. Someone in your family land there. Would you want them to be sitting in rubbernecking? No. No. So firemen see a lot. And then when you're on a bad scene and you're doing sea collar and you're holding the hands of that person, that that person's looking in your eyes and that and you're all they got. And a lot of firemen have to put up do that. And then your paramedics. So people don't realize what a fireman or a paramedic and even a policeman have to deal with. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I mean, there's a lot of. I think uh, we have a um, one of our uh, athletes. Her, her uh, husband is a state trooper, mm-hmm. and um, he said there's there's probably about twenty percent of what the United States will never ever see. That's not ever going to be on TV. That they see. That's really 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 fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I you know I said I couldn't imagine. Uh, we have another uh, buddy. From the legion who good buddy of mine he um responded to an incident where there was a uh, heroin addict that um they wound up having to do cpr to and the guy had dirty needles on him and my buddy got pricked with the dirty needle turned out the guy had aids so mm-hmm. he had to go on all this crazy medicine it was like emergency like precautionary medicine they had to send him home for like 30 days and the medicine makes you very 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 sick so he lost like 30 pounds so he was throwing up every day and, and pain every day, but he could have gotten AIDS from this guy's dirty needle. And um, I, when I was telling the story to my buddy, who's uh, the trooper, he was saying that, you know, they have like special gloves. Right. But he was like, these gloves, man, if you're somebody that's got to use your gun often, it's, it's it's very hard to pull the trigger the right way. He was like, so some of us often don't wear the gloves because it comes down into, you know, having somebody trying to take your life or save somebody's life, you want to make sure that you can use the gun the right way. Right. So I don't think people even realize all the crazy stuff just like that that can happen. Well, it's like uh, I've been to many like a wreck, and in your mind, you're saving this person, even though I got gloves on or anything. And then afterwards, you get them loaded up and everything, and then you look and you got blood all over you. And then it goes through your mind. Did they have anything? Do I have an open cut on me from this? And it, it's something you, and then you sat there for several days going, did they have anything? Yeah. Scary. Yeah. So you were uh, made the police chief and fire chief, or fi- excuse me, fire chief, sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
once you're the fire chief, you're a fire chief for how long? 13 years. So 13 more years. And then while all this was going on, were you working out? Uh, off and on. Off and on. Mm-hmm. But not what you would consider like bodybuilding. No. no. And when you retired mm-hmm. from being uh, the chief, right. at that point, you still weren't really bodybuilding. Nope. So how did you go from that to opening up a gym and getting into bodybuilding now? Uh, me and my wife, we moved to Indiana because my dad had polio when he, when he was young and I had been gone since I was 18 years old and I knew my parents were getting older and I said, I wanted to move home and be closer to my father. Well, at this same time, I was 200, about 260 pounds. Wow. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't care if I was living or dying. I was taking so much pills through the VA. I was so out of shape and everything. Well, one day I came home and I told Tina, I said, you know what? I want to go to the gym. And because uh, there was a guy I knew that said, hey, you go to the gym, get, you'll feel better. Yeah. So I walked into the gym and we started working out. And I was like, man, this is great. Well, then I met a guy that does bodybuilding and he pretty much let me know that I couldn't do it because I was disabled. Well, that's how like, did he say it? That's pretty much it. You're disabled. You're out of shape. You're not going to be able to do it. So I went from 260-some pounds in seven months, walked on the first time on stage at 179. So you went from from zero to 100, as they say. Right. And you, in seven months from start to stage? Yep. That's amazing. And you went from 260 to 179? Yep. So you lost 80 pounds. Yep. Wow. And when you... So how old were you at this point? Yep. We have 45. So 45. Never bodybuilded before. Mm-hmm. Went into the gym to get in shape and wound up doing a bodybuilding show. So yeah. you, you must have been being very extreme with your dieting and everything. Right. So we'll, but the funny part about this is until I met you guys, I've done it all on my own. I tried to figure it out on my own. I've done everything on my own. Work. Oh, she had no coach? No coach. Oh, wow. I've never had a coach until now. That's that's amazing because it's very, very hard to do this on any level without a coach. I mean, people people sometimes do it in the very beginning and then they realize, man, I got to get. But but really, most people, the, the questions that I get about bodybuilding now are who's the best coach? Who's the best coach? Right. It's not even what should I eat or how should I train? It's who should I have design all that for right. me? Instead, and um, I I, uh, I actually admire anyone that can do it on their own. The end of my career, well, at the start of my career, I had different people guiding me. Um, and I wouldn't say that I had a true coach for my first show. Uh, and then I started working with a coach. And then I started working with uh, Dave Palumbo. And then after a couple of years, I decided that I wanted to pursue my own coaching and just do my own thing. And then I never worked with a coach ever again. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. But that's very few and far between the people that do this without having a coach. So after that show, what was that show that you did the first that show? That was Indiana Muscle. Indiana Muscle. Mm-hmm. And um, did you, you did bodybuilding, right? I did uh, uh, physique. Physique at mm-hmm. the first show. Mm-hmm. And now how was your experience like physique? Was it positive? Yeah, it was positive, but it, it wasn't what I wanted. And uh, I had originally started this when i first started it it was to show people hey you can overcome a disability because i was told you couldn't do it i'm one of these people you tell me i can't do it i'm going to do it yeah so i uh, i wanted to show you could overcome it 
How much cardio were you doing? Oh, hours. Yeah. <laughs> hours. And how strict was your diet? Very strict. Very what were you eating? Chicken and rice, uh, fish and rice, uh, a lot of asparagus. Mm-hmm. Were you doing any kind of like carb cycling or anything? I didn't like that? know nothing about carbs. So you were just eating what you thought was the right thing yep. to eat? Yeah. Were you weighing out your food? At that time, no. So you don't even know like what you actually were eating. No. Probably less than you, than you, than you realize. But right. if you were doing nothing at all, it was probably a really good change for, for your, your life anyway. Right. So after that show, you're 179. Mm-hmm. And what do you decide to do from there? I went to Kentucky Muscle. Okay. And how much longer after that was that? Uh, seven months. Were you hooked already after the first show? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, how did it change you as a person when you got hooked on bodybuilding? I have drive. I, and I feel so much better about myself. And uh, I feel I got so much a higher outlook. And, you know, and I don't care what anybody says. When you do bodybuilding, you put everything you got in it. Absolutely. And it takes a special person to do that. And I, I have found out people respect that. Absolutely. I have found that in all walks of life, there's many people that truly don't understand bodybuilding, but but many of them really respect it, regardless mm-hmm. of understanding it. Right. And I think that the... I think that the hardest thing for people to understand about bodybuilding is people would say to me all the time, they're like, so how much money do you get if you mm-hmm. win? I'm like, oh, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't get money. It's, it's not why we're doing it. You know, it's the process of bettering yourself to be the best that you can be. Right. It's hard for a lot of people to grasp that you're doing this without some sort of monetary prize, right. you know? Um, and it's, it's very hard, I think, for the average person to say, wait, I'm going to put all this time into something, all this work, all this, and I don't even get any, any kind of money prize in the end. Why would I do that? Right. And, um, you know, those are the kind of people that wouldn't understand ever the work that goes into it. But people that do understand wanting to be the best version of yourself that Mm -hmm. they can be, those are the kind of people that are going to go all in. Do you think that being in the military helped you with your discipline? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. That and then being a fireman because I had to be you have to be disciplined. You have to. And I'll tell you another thing about I think being in the military that helped me is structure. Yep. And being a bodybuilder, I you have structure. You have you know your meals. You know this. You this this this. Just laid out, and that's I think so reason I love it so much because I'm one of those people. I have to have structure. Mm-hmm. I have to have a guideline. What I got to do. Were you like that before you were in the military? No. So you learned to thrive in structure right. because of the military, and that right. carried over into bodybuilding. Right. Yeah. I I find that of all the people that I've coached over the years, military typically adapts very well. And wrestlers always adapt well too because they're used to cutting weight right. and having that structure. But you have to thrive in structure right. to succeed in this. So after Kentucky, mm-hmm. had you opened up a gym yet at this point? Nope. So how did you go from competing to then opening up a gym? When uh, I'd went- So you're retired at this point. Yeah. You could have just been bodybuilding and relaxing. Yeah. And then what happened was- uh, I had fell back into anxiety and depression because of an incident that happened. So I battled with that. And Tina told me, she said, you got to get back in the gym. You got to get back. You got to compete again. And so I realized, hey, why don't I create a place for guys who have disabilities, who have, you know, an issue and where they can come. And so me and my wife decided we created Lift for Life. And Lift for Life is, it's all about country. 
you know, and you come in the gym and we're the only ones in our area that have handicapped equipment. We have team building equipment. But you know what's nice, what the thing about my gym is, you mentioned Dustin. Yep. Dustin, uh, his therapist came to me and said, I have a vet and he's got issues and I can't, I can't get through his head. He throws up, I'm disabled. He throws up that I'm a vet. Can you do something? And I was like, bring him here. So when he come through the gym, his wife and my wife will tell you, I put my foot up and I stopped him in his wheelchair. And I looked at him and I said, listen to what I'm telling you. I don't give a damn that you're a veteran. I don't give a damn that you're disabled. And he looked at me and I said, because I am. So we're on equal terms here. If you're going to come in my gym, we're going to work. And you were witness to see what Dustin could do now. Yeah. I mean, he came into your gym in a wheelchair. Correct. And um, I saw him squat. Yep. When I was there. Yep. Uh, it scared me because I've never seen somebody get out of a wheelchair and then and then try to do anything before. Mm-hmm. I have I have um I have there is a bodybuilder who I've seen stand. It's like part of his his routine. He is he can stand up and get out of his wheelchair mm-hmm. for a second, but you know, then he goes back down into it. So right. I was like, man, they're gonna hurt this guy right now and I gotta be here and gotta be a part of it. And then he went in there and he he got under it. So I was that was, that was pretty amazing to see. Yeah, and you know, I got several in there that are missing limbs or stuff. and But the benefit to it is we're finding out wherever I go now is I have a lot of them come to me and because they know I can relate. Mm-hmm. You know, I my my psychologist at the VA said, you have the ultimate three. You are a veteran, you are disabled, and you're a fireman. You've reached all three of that out there. And so I get a lot of them coming to us. That's and, amazing. Yeah, I'm so happy that uh, I was out there and able to witness what you guys are doing mm-hmm. out there. And the day that I was there, you guys were doing a bunch of stuff with the Special Olympics as right. well. How did that How did that come to be? Well, uh, my wife is very big for Special Olympics. And that's what our gym and that's what my life is about, is helping people with disabilities. You know, and so what better group out there than Special Olympics? And you know, Special Olympics, uh, we have a lot of uh, paraplegics that come in. You know, we have amputees come in. We have blind that come in. So, I mean, the I have this thing I tell people. A disability is an ability to overcome. Because every one of us that have a disability, we have to overcome Absolutely. something. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And with all this positive that you had going on, when did you find out? that you had PTSD and and that a lot of the issues that you were having were, were you know, spreading from these things. I, I learned that probably about 16 years ago and I've had to deal with it since. Did you have to like go see a special therapist or something? I, I actually, I don't hide it from anybody. Mm-hmm. I see a therapist about it about two or three times a month and I see my psychologist about once every six months. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong mm-hmm. with that. I think people, sh- it's great to talk to a therapist. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, I went through a, to a therapist for a while when I, when I was younger and then in my divorce, I got, I got back into it again. It helped me a lot. Um, I think everybody should sometimes go talk to somebody Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, it's very hard, I think for people to come really open the right way to somebody that's their best friend or their family. But when it's, you know, someone that you're just sitting in a room with that their job is to listen to you, I think that you'll, you'll often may not do it the first time, but you wind up yeah. talking about some stuff that you never thought of before. Right. Yeah. And it helps a lot. Yes. 
So when you, so 16 years ago, but were you like having like depression and, and, and panic attacks and stuff and, and not knowing what to do? Yeah. I, I've, uh, I've had the bad depression. I mean, where I, I didn't know because when you, your life gets torn apart and all of a sudden you got to figure out how to build it back up and you feel like nobody's there for you. And, uh, I don't, I think now the reason is I go and do a lot of inspirational speaking mm -hmm. because I've tried to commit suicide. I, I battled it and I know where these guys are coming from. So, and so I, yeah, I've had to, I battled it hard. Were you able to get to the root of what was causing like the true depression and, and mm -hmm. approach it differently? Right. Yeah. Was it something that, that you went through when you were working as a fireman? Yeah. Some of it. And then the main thing is when I got sick mm -hmm. and I couldn't, because before then I, there, you couldn't stop me. Yep. And then all of a sudden I felt like I was inadequate. And now if I do not succeed, I feel like I failed because I'm not going to give up no matter what I do. So you feel like you had a real rock bottom moment. Yes. And definitely. then fortunately didn't die. Right. And spun it into just doing as many positive things as you right. could. Now, a lot of people, they get into these, these positions and they just, they don't make it. Yep. You know, they give up or do something <laughs> tragic or they just keep ending up down. Mm -hmm. And then I think that everybody always likes to see somebody overcome, mm -hmm. you know, and, and make it. And so you and I had, had shared some of our stories together. Right. And um, when I was out there, you know, you had said to me that you really wanted to help get your story out there because you wanted to help people overcome. Right. And, um, you know, I said, listen, you know, you got to tell the story. It's your story, but we'll help you get the story out. Right. And so that's why I wanted you to uh, come down, hang out at Nationals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get to meet Mr. Mannion down there. I know right. you've spoken to Mr. Mannion before. For those of you guys who don't know Mr. Mannion, he is the the president right. of bodybuilding. So he is the biggest deal that's right. that, that, that you can get. And uh, you've already had some interactions with him. Some people never even even get the chance to meet Mr. Right. Mannion. Uh, he's a very, very, very nice guy, by the way. People are extremely intimidated by him because he's so important. Right. Uh, but he's a very, very, very nice guy. I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have really awesome times with him where once I retired and Blackstone Labs started getting really involved in bodybuilding, you know, I, I understand why people think he's so intimidating, but my, my first lunch that I ever had up there in Pittsburgh, I was like, man, this guy loves bodybuilding so much. It's so cool to see. It made me feel so <laughs> proud that that was who is the boss of bosses in this sport, you know, because you want to assume that he better love bodybuilding. He's the president, but right. you wonder, you know, how much of it is, the, is it a business? How much of it is, you know, to grow and, and, and to grow the financial side of it. And I, I'll tell you, he is a historian so he can tell you stuff from all over the years but he really does love bodybuilding and you know i'm i'm good buddies with jm Mannion also and they just love the sport it's really cool to see so that being said he is obviously a very busy and and important guy so for you to be able to talk to him so fast he he uh he had heard about your 
your story. Mm-hmm. And something about Mr. Mannion that hit me from day one is how much he has respect for our military. That's awesome. He he said, and me and him talked about it several times, and something else about Mr. Mannion is, every, you know this, I am very big on loyalty. Yep. And if you tell me something, I expect it to be followed through because that's being military. That's the way I was. And the first thing the man told me, if I tell you it's going to happen, it will happen. Damn right. And he is a man that he don't beat around the bush. He tells you exactly what it is. But for I, it's, I told my wife one day, I said, it's funny. When I'm feeling down sometimes, all of a sudden he texts, or, hey, how you doing? Or, Everything going all right? And that brought me back up because a man with that much uh, to even talk to someone like me, I'm like, really? How amazing is that? Yeah. There's a lot of people that are going to listen to this podcast and be mind blown by yeah. that. Um, that that uh, when you told me that, that made me very very proud because, like I said, the the interactions that I've had with him over the years, from when I was competing as as a nobody till yeah being involved and being able to sponsor the shows and stuff. Now he's always been the same, very respectful. He's funny too. He's a funny guy also. Um, And that's what you want to see running the show. And I think that bodybuilding, so Blackstone Labs, our our tagline is loyalty is everything. I think in bodybuilding in general, the IFBB is a very loyal group and the NPC is a very, very loyal group. So you don't don't get people that are like, oh, I'm going to compete in the NPC this week and the WBFF next week and this and that. Like people, people stay in their lanes and even when they retire, like people like myself, mm-hmm. I only sponsor NPC and IPB shows. I've had other federations approach me before and I won't do it. Right. I'm loyal to the NPC and the IPB because I built this business because of what I did right. in the NPC and IPB. And sometimes people will be like, oh, you know, what'd they do for you? They didn't give you a pro card. I'm like, they gave me a platform to be me. And that's how I grew Blackstone Labs. And right. if, I, if I wasn't there and if I wasn't doing that, None of this would have ever happened. So, of course, I'm going to give back. Well, that's like with me is uh, we just competed in Nashville. And when I come up, we got three standing ovations with me and Bean because it was the first time that there had been a routine done with a dog being on stage with me. And uh, we had a lot of people come to us and sit down and want to talk to me because they had someone in the military or that they're going through something in their life. and want to take pictures of me and being and everything. And it's just the same thing. If it wasn't for NPC, this, my life would not be what it is right now. That's amazing. And NPC, I mean, I was going to tell you, when I was starting my gym, I called Mr. Mannion up and asked for his advice on what to do. And he would tell me. He did? Yeah. How amazing is that? You know, I'd say I'm wanting to start my gym and everything. And he's like, he'd always say something positive, you know? So, I mean, he is an unbelievable person. I mean, you know, he's been overseas, and I've texted him for something, and he'll tell me, hey, I'm or, or, where I'm at. I'm maybe in Italy or wherever he was at. And, you know, it's just for him to take the time, that meant a lot to me. That's really amazing. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't know that uh, he was texting you like that. That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Shows a lot. Mm-hmm. So you've had these positive experiences competing, mm-hmm. and – you and I talk, we start working together and become a rep for Blackstone Labs. And uh, Sammy actually started helping you with your right. nutrition and, and right. everything else. And um, you're making improvements and you decided that you wanted to compete at the Arnold. There, yep. 
So the plan is to get on stage with Bing mm -hmm. at the Arnold. So that's the first week of March. Yep. Of course, Blackstone Labs will always be at that one. We love the Arnold. And um, you got a little bit of time still. Mm -hmm. But what's going through your mind for this one? I I have always said that I'm going on stage to show you're over, you can overcome anything. I'm going on stage at the Arnold, not just to show you could overcome. I'm going to place. Good. I am doing everything possible for it because there will be a lot of vets and a lot of people with disabilities see me up there on that stage. And I want to get, if, if I don't give 100% and be the best I can be, then what am I doing it for? Good. And how old are you going to be when you're on stage with Arnold? 49. 49, almost 50. Yep. You have no uh, desire to slow down though, right? No, I'm not going to. Good. Um, when you started uh, taking Blackstone Labs, mm -hmm. had you had known about us before we met? Uh, I had a guy tell me about, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And now we've had, um, of course, other companies that, that want to cock block in on the story now. Right. I, know, I know Redcon's approached you, but we won't waste time talking about those jabronis, the fake military company. Um, you know, you had told me that you're a very loyal guy and you're going right. to show your loyalty to the brand. And I'm all about loyalty. So there's right. no reason why this shouldn't grow into a, a really, really amazing experience. Exactly. And the, the Arnold's just the beginning. Right. So... And then afterwards, you get to come to the booth and uh, share your story with people, right? Which is awesome, right? There's there's probably not a bigger spot to meet people in the Arnold. No, that's no, it's that's nuts. True. Well, we trained today mm -hmm. and uh, did a good back workout. You went really hard, yeah. Um, got this podcast in, and then we're heading to nationals, right? And uh, nationals is a very big show, so there's going to be probably a thousand people, if not more, competing. And um, we've been sponsoring that show for years. I love that show; it's right in our backyard. And then you're heading back on Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, you're you're even more motivated than than ever. Oh, definitely. I'm gonna tell you, it, people just step back and see what's getting ready to happen. Good. Yeah. Uh, well, before we say goodbye, is there anything else you want to plug while you're on here? Any shout outs that you want to give? Yeah, I want to. I have a a guy back home named Austin Woodruff. Okay. And uh, he is. I'd pretty much say he's the one that is pushing me. He. He makes sure I'm doing everything. He's in the gym. He's really pushing me really hard. And he's helping me get out there to people to do speakings and stuff. And it doesn't come any better than him. I mean, he's he's what I like to say, like with you, is he's loyal and he's a great guy. And then the biggest shout out I could give is to my wife. Awesome. Because if it wasn't for her, I mean it's just like today when we were at the gym, if you knew, she knows. She knew my sugar was starting to drop. Mm -hmm. She knew. And she's Johnny on the spot. And then everybody knows without being, I mean, he's he's my boy. He's the man. He's my lifesaver. That dog. Uh, best friend. That dog has saved my life several times. How how long does it uh, take to train a dog like that? Being It takes usually anywhere between 8 to 12 months. But then they're, they're constantly in training. Mm -hmm. Like being my wife, I'll tell you, I don't know because I'm out. But... When I have a seizure, Bing will literally pull me away from things. And That's gets, amazing. And gets under me. And then I have nightmares, and uh, she can't wake me up. But Bing literally knows how to – he'll grab a hold of me and pull on me until I wake up. And if I'm not feeling good, he's in the bed. They know, that, see, that amazes me because there was a day – was when I, when I – before I actually got tested for the mono, mm -hmm. 
where I knew something was really wrong with me and I, I, I could not even leave the bed that day. And that never happens to me. And I had passed out for a little while on the bed and I woke up and Jack was next to me in the bed and he can't get on the bed because his hips are bad. But somehow he knew that I was doing that bad that he got his ass up on that bed because he wanted to make sure that mm -hmm. I was okay. Right. And I was like looking around to see if there was anybody there that put him on the bed and, and he just knew to get up there. Right. So dogs are amazing. I can uh, I can be by myself during the day or something, Tina be gone and say I had a seizure or I have migraine and she'll come home. And a lot of times I tell her, she'll say, hey, how are you doing? Because she knows. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing all right. She said, no, you're not. You're lying. I was like, what do you mean I'm lying? She said, Bing's giving it away because he will not leave my side. He He's stuck to me. He knows. And he can literally, like when we were at the Arnold last year, he will literally push people away and just make room because he knows and he's protecting. But what's funny about Bing is whoever he's with. So if he was with you, he's going to do the same for That's you. That's awesome. And Bing is a special dog. Well, special shout out to Bing, man. We know I love animals around here. Anyone that wants to get a hold of you for anything, speaking and just to say what's up, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, they can go to our Instagram. It's Tom the Bing Team. And uh, and then, uh, or I mean, if they really wanted to, they could probably go through you and let and you could let them know how to get a hold of us. But we're fixing to have uh, a YouTube channel out. We're going to put that out on Instagram so people know to be able to follow it. Good. Awesome. Well, uh, I told you in the beginning, you got to post and get the story out. And you've been posting a lot and keep getting Bing out there because everybody loves him too. Yeah. And uh, you guys follow him. You know, shoot the shit, talk to him, see what he's all about. Some of the veterans that, that we have on the team, I'm sure you guys can relate. And you will see more of Tom from Blackstone Labs for sure. And uh, we're going to roll out of here. So um, this is my first time closing the show out by myself. Uh, but I will do it uh, with a quick, as we always say, peace out, bye.